Do you find yourself yearning for a deeper, more purposeful existence? Get ready to embark on a transformative journey, diving deep into the realms of personal development, friendships, romance, and abundance. Get ready for Finding the Fire, Igniting Soul Connection, as we lead the way to embrace the fire within. Hello, hello. So we were having a discussion this morning um, on the way here about how uh, as a tendency of, you know, uh, stress and trauma that when we don't know to address it or, or uh, don't know how to address it, that we kind of keep ourselves busy and distracted, right? Yes. And I don't think we, we realize that that's what we do. It's kind of a tendency. It's like a habit. Yeah. It's kind of, it's not easy to want to sit or feel something. So I don't think most of the time we're just we're distracted by all the things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's like a, I don't think I, it is a coping mechanism of trauma, right? Like, um, if you can't address something in the moment, if once you're out of the fight or flight danger of it, right? Like you're in an immediate like situation where you've got to make sure you're safe or somebody else is safe. <clears throat> but once you're out of that you kind of go through like maybe a shock phase, depending on how severe the trauma is. But then if you don't address it or know to address it or your body's like, hey, I'm safe now, so I should be fine, you know, and you go about your day, but that's still inside of you because you haven't addressed it and released it. Yeah, you still haven't processed it. Yeah, you haven't processed it. You haven't sat with it. You haven't actually felt the emotion because you kind of stuffed it down because you realize, oh, wait, I'm not I'm not in danger anymore. I'm okay. like even say like a near this is a, a kind of a brief example but like if you get almost in a car accident right like you're so close to getting in a car accident what happens to your body then shock yeah you're like heart starts racing your body tenses up you're like <gasps> and and then it's like you know there was no accident everything's fine okay cool you know we're all safe and you go about but you still have all that emotion trapped inside of you right you still experienced yeah yeah you still emotions Exactly. And and so what do you do? Because now you're in the middle of the street, right? And you have to get going again. So instead of like feeling it and processing it, like animal instinct is like you actually continue that process. So like if you see um, there, there's videos of like, say, um, a cheetah being um, chased or, or an animal being chased by a cheetah. And um, after it was safe, it got away, it got away. But after it was safe, um, it went into shock and froze and, and laid there. And then as it got, as it came back to it, it just started shaking, like shaking, shaking, shaking to let go of all of that energy. And then it just pops up and walks off like nothing, like nothing happened. Right. But as, as humanity, like we're, we're built the same way, but we have a logical mind that processes it. Right. It's like, Oh my gosh, that almost happened but I'm okay now. And now I've got to get going and I've got to get to my business meeting and I've got to get, you know, so you don't actually let that process continue. Right. And process that and feeling the emotions. And sometimes we have to like verbalize like what we experience, like, Oh my gosh, you know, like I went through this whole thing and, you know, having somebody like validate that for you, whether, you know, it's a friend or whatever. And, and then, you know, we go about our lives and we get like anxiety and depression. We, you know, get on SSRIs and we go to counseling maybe, you know, to try and process our childhood traumas that we've been dealing with our whole life. And now, it, you know, we're adults now and and not functioning optimally. Right. So these are kind of things people do. And the other th big thing that we we're talking about is people distract. Right. They stay busy. They go to work. They 
plan a vacation if they're overstressed. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm stressed. There's too much going on at work. Like we got to get away, right? Mm -hmm. Let's go on a vacation. And I, I did that. I did that a lot. And I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time. Um, and it's so hard to sit still. That's, I think stillness is the hardest thing for most people because mm -hmm. they're so not used to that. And when you sit still, then your mind goes to things and you have to start thinking, you have to start feeling yeah. people don't really want to feel. Yeah. Well, cause it's scary, right? Cause you don't know how to process it. Like what if, what if someone, you know, like for instance, loses a child or loses a sibling to suicide or loses or uh, had sexual violation in their past that, you know, like all these things that they're no longer in that situation and they're supposed to be a functioning adult or whatever in society. And, oh, that was so long ago. You but should be over it. they're almost reliving them. Yeah. Even though they don't need to relive them, the mm -hmm. vibrations and frequencies are still yeah. going on in the Because they haven't processed it and released it. And so even if people do sit still, what do, what do we tend to do? Right. Like click, watch TV, like on, um, our phone. on our phone, social media, scroll, scroll, scroll. Like people a lot of times don't actually sit still in the stillness and like, what is this feeling? What is this anxiety? Why do I feel like I have to run or distract or, or, or whatever? And like allow that to come through and come up because it, it is scary if you don't know how to process it. So, um, so yeah, we were, we were kind of talking about this this morning and I'm like, you know, I, I did that. I did that after my son passed and, um, society, like there's a study out there that society in the Western world has, has kind of deemed that, you know, three months, you get three months to be sad or whatever of the loss of a spouse or a child or someone really close to you. Like, that's like what we as a society have determined subconsciously is the amount of time that somebody should have to be over whatever it is. And that's just not, that's just not reality. Um, having said that, like I lived through that, you know, and, and after losing my son, like, I'm like, okay, well, you know, I was given, you know, six weeks off or uh, yeah, six weeks off or like grief leave from work. And, um, and you know, working in a NICU with newborn babies, like, that was hard to go back to, um, to taking care of babies and saving babies for a living when I lost my own. And, um, and people of course like, Oh, are you okay? And you know, when you first get there, but then they just expect you to perform, right? Like you're just there to do your job and, um, hold it all together. Even if, you know, you see a baby that reminds you of something of your child or whatever. Like I have to, especially as a charge nurse, like I've got to keep it together all the time. Right. Even though inside I hadn't processed or, or really, kn I didn't know how to process that. I like, say most people don't know because we're not taught. We're not taught about these things. It's just like you, you've got to function. You got to survive. So you just have to. Yeah. Like I've, I've got to go back to work. I've got to take care of my kids. I got to pretend everything's okay. You know, in some countries, they it, they or and there's tribes too. Okay, so so there's tribes that will spend sixty days for like the wife or the family and the close loved ones of of someone that's passed, and they'll spend sixty days literally just wailing. And allowing that release of that emotion and process, 
<clears throat> to actually feel like it's not like we suppress it and like put a smile on, go to funeral and say, share these fun stories. And then we move on with our day, which is what happens. Like, and I've, and I've unfortunately had enough loss in my life, um, losing a son and a husband and, you know, mother and all, the, you know, all these people, like people show up and, and they show up and they bring you meals and until the funeral. And so you have about a week. And then after the funeral, they die off. They might call once or twice or maybe one meal comes after the funeral and that's it. And you're left to yourself. And not knowing or having the tools or having the space or someone to, to guide you through that, like... And you just have to suck it up and like be there for your kids or your spouse or your job or even yourself. Like, of course, we're going to distract. Right. Like, you know, and I see it so much now and I, I see me in them when I see somebody lose a spouse or a child and all of a sudden they're out on all these vacations. And then I hear people say, oh, they're doing fine because, look, they're out on this vacation. And I'm like, no, they're not. They're not doing right. fine. They're running from, they're distracting, they're making all these fun things to, to not have to sit and think and process. And, you know, it takes time and, and some of that's necessary because you have to get away from the danger, right? Just like that. I think it was a gazelle now that I'm remembering uh, that the cheetah was chasing and, you know, it was running, running, running until it knew it was safe, until it's far enough away from the cheetah, until you're far enough away from the loss that it's still there, still prominent, but, but then you can finally slow down and like kind of process, you know, because our bodies are always trying to protect us just like that. Sometimes you'll wall up stuff just for the protection because in that time you really do need that protection yeah. to survive. Yeah. And you do. And you have to like keep moving. You got to keep going. away from the danger, right? Mm -hmm. Until you're ready to actually process it. And that's different for everybody. The timing is different for everybody and depending on the trauma, right? Like if it was, you know, and a, a burglar broke in your house like that's a trauma and you may be able to process that a little sooner you know but it's like a violation like I've I had a vehicle stolen and like getting it back from from the police you know a week later it was like sitting in that vehicle it was like oh my gosh it felt so violating you know and so eventually I had to like sell the car and whatever and that's like a mild example compared to what I'm talking about but but it takes time for each thing differently depending on what the experience right. is and even layers at times like you'll process this and then you're not ready to process more the you deeper know? layers yeah so there's just layers of stuff that comes through time yeah for sure and you know after after losing my son you know I went to counseling and I talked to friends and I wasn't able to talk to my husband because he didn't want to verbalize like he didn't want to talk about it and so I think that that was you know an important piece that that would have helped both of us if we were able to do that. But, um, but you know, yeah, like layers, it takes layers to do that. And so what I found with myself was like, eventually I was able to just kind of move on, you know, far enough time had passed that it wasn't on the front forefront of my mind, you know, holidays and birthdays and mother's day and his birth, you know, all these things would re trigger things within me. Um, and, like, for instance, um, but you forget about it, right? Like, you try to block it out instead of actually feel it. Like, and that's just instinct. That's just instinct. So, so the first year, um, the anniversary of his passing was coming up. 
and I wasn't paying attention because it had been a year. You know, I had to go through his birthday and Mother's Day, which were simultaneous. Literally, his birthday landed on Mother's Day. So that was hard. And that was in May. And he had passed in September. And so get through that milestone, you know, and you get busy working, doing life again and kids and like just trying to to uh, get through things. And um, and I my best friend took me out. We went shopping to to like get some fall holiday decor because, you know, fall was coming up and there's this crispness in the air. And and we're out like just out together having a good time. And all of a sudden I started feeling like I was having a heart attack and it was so strong. And I'm like, something's wrong. Like I'm, I'm having this pain. I can't breathe. Like my chest hurts. She was like, are you okay? What do you need? Do you need to go home? And it got stronger and stronger and stronger to the point where she was about to drive me to the hospital because it was just overwhelming. And all out of the blue, it hit me like, that day was the day, the anniversary day of my son's passing, September, um, September 13th. And I was suppressing it. And so it might, but my body knew. It doesn't forget. Yeah. And so it, I was having these feelings because I wasn't processing it, acknowledging it and allowing that to happen. But as soon as I acknowledged it, it was like, oh, and I, I cried and then the pain was gone and I could breathe again. And instead of driving me to the hospital, she was headed to the hospital. She took me home and I was okay. But that's what happens if we don't. It's like trapped, trapped yeah. emotions, trapped trauma inside. And all of a sudden, sometimes our body will put us in the hospital or put us in sickness or help where it's just a message. Like it's ready yeah. to be acknowledged. Yeah. It's like, I just need acknowledgement. Like acknowledge here. it. Just, yeah. Yeah. So interestingly enough, you know, over the years, like, and this would happen, it would sneak up on me. It would sneak up on me like every year because again, like, oh, okay. I acknowledge that we got through the first anniversary, like keep going with life, right. And kids and work and. And, um, so the next year, same thing happened. It wasn't, it didn't, I caught on to it sooner, but it still happened because I wasn't acknowledging it being like, oh, you know, like grieving the loss of my son at the time. And so, so it snuck up on me. I started having the chest pains again, like the Christmas in the air. I'm trying to get excited for something else and suppress and forget. But my body's like, oh no. First, you got to acknowledge me. And so so it would happen like consistently year after year after year. And the first time was obviously the worst and hardest for me to recognize. And then the second time, you know, it was still pretty bad and, and took me a minute to recognize. But every year it just got a little easier to when I started feeling that way. It was like, wait a minute. Nope. I felt this way before. What what does that mean? Oh, what date is it? Oh, okay. Now, you know. And so now I'm to a point where, well, actually before now, but after it took me about eight years to get to a point and it took me something outside of our normal awareness and our, you know, Western society of, you know, counseling or time or whatever that should heal. Time heals all. That's not true. <laughs> like, that's such a lie when people are like, oh, you know, time heals all. Like the first year is the hardest and then it gets better. And it's mm. it's not true. It just gets different. And you acknowledge it differently, you know, and um, 
So those things are very unhelpful. <laughs> P.S. If you have a friend losing that's lost somebody and you don't know what to say, like those, that's not it. Just li- just listen to them. Just hear them out and talk to them and ask them questions about their whoever it is that they've lost. And if they've lost a child, like a lot of people, a lot of women that have lost babies, like people don't want to talk about that, right? Because it's uncomfortable. And they're like, oh, I don't want to bring it up because maybe that'll be uncomfortable for them. But no, they want to talk about it. And the best thing you can say is what was your baby's name? And then start talking to them and addressing the baby's name. Um, That took me many years to learn from myself. And then to be able to share that with, with others when when I meet somebody that's lost a baby, they're like, Oh, I lost my baby too. And that's, and just sharing that is so important to acknowledge that for them. Um, and so, so like, uh, going on, going on with my life, right? Like all these years later, like I learned how to compartmentalize. I learned really well how to compartmentalize, just be like, okay, you know, we're, going through life. We're doing holidays. Okay. It's his birthday. So now I'm going to acknowledge it just on his birthday though. I don't want to like think about it before or any other time, but his birthday, I'm going to acknowledge it. The anniversary of his passing, I'm going to acknowledge it. And I would just go about my business. And I thought that, um, that I was doing well with it. Right. And by the all intents and purposes on the outside, people thought I was doing well, um, until I wasn't. And, um, and my body started taking this toll of where I was just exhausted all the time. And I was like, I was in flight mode, right? I was always just go, 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 stay ahead of it, stay ahead of it, stay ahead of it. So I was, you know, like I said, I was always doing like over the top parties for my kids' birthdays. And I was the the celebration house for all of the families and had the big meals at my house and all the decorations of it. And, you know, the taking the kids on vacations and, um, busy at work, picking up all the extra shifts at work that I could like, Oh, I'm the superhero. If you need any help, I'll call Cindy. She'll come in, you know? And, and, um, and that's how I was surviving at the time, like running from myself, Um, but on the outside, everyone's like, man, she's doing great, you know? And, um, then my health started taking a hit and, um, started having all kinds of odd symptoms. And I'd go to the doctors and they'd be like, I don't know, run some labs. They couldn't figure anything out. And I'm like, okay, then I guess I got to just push through because there's nothing wrong. I got to keep going, you know? And I remember back then I'm like, damn, like. It would be nice to just say, find something, find anything. And I remember once even thinking like, I wish they could find something, even if it's cancer, at least it's an answer. At least then it's like, okay, this is why I'm feeling this way. Um, but they didn't and it wasn't, thank goodness. Um, so I just kept pushing through, but I kept going to doctors and homeopath doctors and getting lab work and getting hormones tested and all these things. And they just weren't finding anything until, um, until one day that I, 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 not one day it was coming on for a long time and I knew something was severely wrong, but they weren't finding anything and I'm pushing through and I'm like, I, I'm not going to survive this. Like I knew in my soul I wasn't. And 
Um, but the doctors were telling me I was okay. And so, so I just like knew for my, my soul couldn't hold out any longer. And I went to work one day and I told one of my coworkers in confidence, cause I was feeling that overwhelming pressure and that same feeling of the heart attack of that anniversary, but it was now constant and it wasn't going anywhere. And, um, and I was charging in the NICU that day and getting ready for a new admit. And I was, I confided in a friend, a nurse coworker friend. And I'm like, this is my last shift. She's like, what, what are you talking about? Cause I looked fine. Right. From the outside, everything looked fine. And I said, I don't know what's wrong with me, but something's wrong and I'm dying. And this is going to be my last shift. And she was like thinking I'm lying or crazy, right? Because I looked fine. I'm like, no, I've been trying to figure this out for a long time. They can't figure it out, but I know I'm not going to survive. And she's like, Cindy, if you're serious, you need to go to the ER. And we were two different campuses at the time, two different hospital campuses. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to the ER. I've been to the ER and they can't figure it out. And I've been to the doctors and they can't figure it out. I'm not going to the ER, but I'm letting you know this is my last shift. And she started crying and she's like, Cindy, you're going to the ER. So one of our other coworkers drove me over to the ER and sat with me as they ran all the tests that they had already run. By the way, my angles were like this big around. So that was the only physical sign that anybody could see outwardly that there was something wrong with my body. Um, until they stuck me on the EKG monitor and like my heart rate would literally, it was like this wave and it would go down to like 40 and I would literally like be losing consciousness and my spirit would like sit up and like help me, like save me. And this wasn't quite as dramatic as the toxic shock time because I was in and out of my body like so severe because the pain was excruciating in that time and sepsis. So it was a different experience, but it was a similar experience because as my heart rate would dip down really low, my blood pressure would dip down really low. And then my spirit's like, I don't want to die. So I would come, I would like, like take a deep gasping breath and like help me. And my coworkers, they're like praying next to me. And she's watching this happen on the monitor and they're not finding anything on the labs. And, um, so the doctor comes in and this was after I had already been to the ER like three times in the last week and a half. I hadn't shared with anybody at work or anything, but until that moment. So they didn't know like how, how severe it was and how much I'd been in there and I'd been going to doctors for years prior to that anyway, trying to figure it out. And, um, so the doctor's like, and I'm like, I'm dying. Help me. He's like, there's nothing wrong with you. He's like, if you're, if you're, if you're going to kill yourself, then we're going to admit you to be mad. And I'm like, I'm not going to kill myself. Like I'm here because I'm dying and I'm asking for help, like help me. And he was not listening. They had already like made up their mind that I was, you know, just this drug seeker or whatever, because I had been in the hospital over and over in the last three weeks. That was, yeah, my third visit in like, a, or not three weeks, one week, my third visit in a week. But I wasn't asking for drugs. I wasn't, they weren't giving me any drugs. I wasn't wanting any of that. I was just asking for help. They were taking like 26 vials of blood from me each time and not giving me anything, any kind of hope or diagnosis or answers, let alone medication. But in their head, like, 
I must be, you know, what is that hypochondriac or something because they couldn't find anything wrong with me. Right. And, um, so they were getting ready to ship me off to <laughs> the med. If, for those that don't know, it was like a psych ward, like for mental health people. And I'm like, no, like I'm, I'm not, I don't want to kill myself. I'm dying. Something's wrong. If you're not going to help me, I'm going to go home and die with my babies. And so thankfully, like in that moment, I reached out to a, a coworker slash friend of mine that I worked with in surgery forever. And he was now working in, in cardiology and I just called him and I said, there's something wrong. I'm in the ER. They can't figure it out. And they're trying to send me to the psych ward. And he came right down and he took one look at me and they knew him because cardiac nurse, like he was always in the ER. And he looked at the ER surgeon and he said, I know her. This is not typical for her. He's like, something's wrong. He's like, let me, let me talk to my cardiologist and see if we can do something, but you know, don't send her to be mad. And we're up, our time's up for this episode. So I've got to wrap this up. But thankfully, like he, they listened to him and I thought to call him at the last minute. And he reached out to his cardiac surgeon that was on that day. And he's like, he came down, he says, I have seen, he looked over all my lab work. He looked at my ankles. He listened to me. He said, I have seen a, a case like yours one time. And he's like, and there's two things that could be going on here, but we're going to, we're going to figure it out for you. And so that gave me enough hope to hold on for just a little bit longer. Thank you for joining us on this path of self-discovery and soul connection. Remember, the journey doesn't end here. For more inspiration and resources, join our Facebook group, Igniting Soul Connection. Also, visit us at findingthefire.com or follow us on TikTok and Instagram at findingthefire. Until next time, keep the fire alive. This has been a production from a podcast studio.